0: We're going to be in chapters 22, 23, and 24. We will not cover all that today. We have an interlude in this great book of Numbers. We have three chapters where Israel, the children of Israel, are kind of set aside for a moment, but they are greatly discussed. They are discussed by a king by the name of Balak. They're discussed by a prophet by the name of Balaam, and then we have a donkey that talks, and then we have the the wonderful character of Almighty God, Elohim, Jehovah, are brought out in these chapters so clearly. Now, we often come upon passages of Scripture that do not make good logical sense to a human being. We're going to be discussing some of those passages as we go through these three chapters. They just don't make logical sense. In fact, I've heard people say, God wouldn't do that. We heard one of them read this morning. I create evil. I create calamity. That's what he does. He's the God that does that. And people would like to say, no, he doesn't do that. That's of someone else's problem. We must be careful that we do not be as a king found in the book of Jeremiah who has read what God had given to Jeremiah to write, and he took a penknife to it because he didn't agree with it all. Turn with me. Keep your finger there in the book of Numbers, but turn with me, if you would, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 36. In chapter 36 of the book of Jeremiah... The word of the Lord was given. And it was the word of the Lord, just the same as you turning your pages today. The word of the Lord, this is God's word that was given in Jeremiah chapter 36 and verse 1. The scripture reads this And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book. He's saying, Take a scroll. I'm, I'm kind of glad we have this kind of book anymore. We don't have to go rolling and rolling and rolling to find our place. But it says, take a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations. For the day I spake unto thee from the days of Josiah even unto this day. Now, can you imagine the report is in there? that God gave to Jeremiah to report all the evil that Israel had done and all the evil that Judah had done. Now, we find moving over to verse 21 of this chapter, and this is so prominent. This is prominent by natural man to want to be very selective. I believe all the Bible, but I'm very selective. You know, a hue and cry came out a few years ago when Reader's Digest put out Their translation of the Bible. You know what they did? They took out all the redundancy. That's what they did. Well, they left a lot of parts in there that a lot of people would like to have that taken out too. We find that natural man does edit the scriptures so often. And they will say in their heart, I do not want this. I do not believe this. Here in the book of Jeremiah chapter 36 and verse 21, so the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll and he took it out of Elisha the scribe's chamber and Jehudai read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood before the king. Now this is a message that was given to Jeremiah. Who gave that message? Almighty God, just like this. Right here. This is God given. And it was given to various writers to report what God had given them. And we have it today, and we're thank God for it. But we must be very careful that we're not like this king and begin to pull out verses of scripture and notice what he did with them. It tells us here in verse 21 or verse 22, and now the king sat at the winter house in the ninth month and there was a fire in the hearth burning before him and it came to pass that when Jehuadi had read three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. He did literally... What I used to do physically, I never took a penknife because I had too much. I believe all the Bible. I believe it from cover to cover, but there were sections of it that were anathema maranatha. You just didn't read it. You didn't comment on it. It was for around the kitchen table or whatever. And yet we find out that God Almighty has said, this is my word and I want it read. And it is necessary to be read because I want people to know that I am God and beside me there is none else and I can declare whatsoever I want to declare. And we were, just flip over there if you would to Isaiah 45 once again. Isaiah 45, we heard this just read there in the book of Isaiah chapter 45 and that last verse of scripture that is in that verse of scripture, in that passage, Isaiah 45 verse seven, it says here, I form the light and create darkness. Now this is the Lord speaking. And then he goes on to say, I make peace and create evil, or I bring calamities. I, the Lord, do all these things. And who is he writing about? A man by the name of Cyrus, who is going to be used of God. And even he brings out twice in that passage of scripture, even though you don't even recognize me as God. You don't have any relationship with, spiritual relationship with me, but I am going to use you to release my people from servitude down in Babylon. Well, these kind of scriptures go on and on, and we find in the book of Daniel, as one of those captives that was taken captive by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar, and taken up there into Babylon, he writes this in the book of Daniel chapter 4, would you read this with me in Daniel chapter 4 as we hear that king, Nebuchadnezzar, speaking by the utterance of Almighty God. Now, I'm reading these passages of scripture so that when we go through the book of, of Numbers, chapters 22, 23, and 24, and we run upon things that we say, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that. I didn't know God acted that way. I didn't know God did that kind of thing, that we will say, this is the God of the Bible, and he has the right to do with his as he has feeling to do. In the book of Daniel chapter four, we read these words as King Nebuchadnezzar comes out of his stupor. He's been turned out. He's the king of Babylon. He's the one that has taken all of these folks out of Israel and Jerusalem and carried them captive. And now after God has put him out to the field for seven years, he is brought out of that stupor. And this is what he has to confess. This is the God that we're going to be reading about, and this is the God we need to believe. This is the God that is revealed to every one of his saints. And if we have a problem with it, we have a problem with God. In the book of Daniel chapter 4, and verse 34, "...and at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes into heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing." And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? You know, by the grace of God, Saul of Tarsus, now the apostle Paul, picks up much of this as the Holy Spirit leads him, and in his instruction to the church that this God, that Nebuchadnezzar met, is the God that saved me by his grace. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth. And nobody can stop his doings. Nobody can stop him in his progress. And if you'll turn over with me to the book of Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, we have some great insights to the Old Testament, to the Old Testament God that we're going to be dealing with in Numbers chapters 22, 23, and 24 as we find that Israel is kind of on the other side of the hill, and they cannot observe what is going on. They're kind of, they're just settled down, waiting for a bit before they go into into the promised land and take Jericho. They're there resting, if you please. They're camping in their tents, if you please. On the other side of the hill, we have people conspiring against them. We have people, kings, conspiring against them because of their great deeds that they did to the Amorites. Here in the book of Romans chapter 9, we read about that beginning with verse 15. Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 15, it says, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Did you know that in the Old Testament, when God was asked, requested by Moses, show me your glory, this is what God said. This is what God demonstrated. This is all my glory. It is more glorious than Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is more glorious than anything that we can comprehend, that God would have mercy. Now, he is writing uh, there in the book of Exodus, when Moses requested that, he's writing about a nation that is a gainsaying people. He's writing about a people that are always wicked before God. He's writing about a people that God is leading by the hand. He's taking them to the promised land, and at every turn, they turn on God. And God said, I will have mercy. You know, that's a wonderful blessing when we think about it, that God would have mercy on anybody. He had mercy on Joshua and Caleb. He had mercy on Moses and Aaron. He had Moses' mercy on a few other people, and here we go on, and the Apostle Paul is used to pick this up. The Holy Spirit led him. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. This is my glory. It is the glorious God of a glorious God demonstrating where his glory is. I will have mercy. I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. You know, most of this, I've come to the conclusion, that these mysterious verses of scripture, like we read about that king cutting up that Bible, cutting up the word of God, cutting up what God gave to Jeremiah to deliver to the children of Israel, it is demonstrating to us that God is going to have his way in all things, And most importantly, he will have his way in the salvation of his people. He will not be deterred by anything. He will save his people as he declared he will save his people. And that is by his mercy and by his compassion. And not of him that willeth, not of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee. Do you know what? That message was delivered to Pharaoh. He got to hear that with his very own ears. He was a nincompoop. He was a down and outer. He was worse than the worse. And the Apostle Paul said, I was just like him. But God showed mercy. Now to Pharaoh, king of Egypt... He did not show mercy, and he says, I'm going to use you to show what I, almighty God, will do to people that I don't show mercy to. He goes on here, even for the same purpose have I raised the? Oh, God wouldn't show mercy to everybody. That's his glory. That's the glory of God, that he would show mercy unto those whose names were written down in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, But let's read the rest. It says here, I might show my power in thee that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will. Don't cut this out. Don't grab your pen knife. Leave it alone. By the grace of God, believe it. Whom he will, he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? You know what that is? Re- I don't believe it. That's the greatest reply that natural man has is, I don't believe it. I'm not going to have a God like that. Well, a God like that is the one that saves people from their sins. A God not like that can't do anything. So, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory, on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles said, give me some more of that. And the next day the apostle Paul preached, and those who were ordained to eternal life believed. That's the glory of God. That's his glory demonstrated that he would give Jews and Gentiles lost without help and without hope and without God in this world, would demonstrate to them his saving grace. And we walk away and say, thank you. Keep my penknife in my pocket, Lord. Keep my attitude towards your word positive because you are the God that gave us this word and you're the God that gave us all of the scriptures, all about it. Don't let me get myself in the way of your eternal word. Let me just be thankful for it. Well, let's go over here to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 22. We're we're going to be dealing with these three chapters. And as we mentioned, there are three, four real characters in these chapters. We have the director, the all-seeing one, the all-knowing one, the all-powerful one. We have Jehovah. We have Shaddai, El Shaddai. And we have Elohim different names that are used in this three chapters. We have God, the director of all things. He's ordained and directing all things. This just didn't happen by mistake. This just didn't happen because a king got out of sorts with what was going on around him. This is God's eternal purpose, and he is sharing with us, I can have my will and purpose in a king. I can have my will and purpose in a prophet. I can have my will and purpose in a donkey. Because I am Jehovah, I am Elohim, I am Shaddai, I am the Almighty. And I will demonstrate that to you. Well, here in the book of Numbers, chapter twenty-two, we read these words that there was a problem. A problem. God in his success always creates a problem for somebody. Oh my goodness. Oh, that looks like a threat to me. That looks problem to me. You know, almost exactly what we read over in the book of, of uh a little in the book of um, Joshua, do we find here, we've heard about these people. We've heard about these people. What was it that Rahab said? Since you crossed the Red Sea, we've heard about you. And we do indeed fear and quake. Well, here in the book of Numbers, chapter 22, we have a king. Chapter 22 Verse 1, the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side of Jordan by Jericho. They're posed for what we're going to find out in the book of Joshua. They're ready to cross the Jordan River. Their 40 years is just about up. They're ready. They're there, and they're sitting in their tents. They've pitched their tents in the plains of Moab. And now in verse 2, in Balak... The son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. What did, you know, from a picture standpoint, from a type standpoint, from a a, a, a standpoint as we look at the scriptures, what is this? Those people have God. And look what they are, and look what they're doing. And look at us. We're just like fodder to them. What he goes on to say here, Moab Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as an ox licketh up the grass of the field? And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at the time. Now he's going to send to his pastor. He's going to send a message to his pastor. It's interesting, and we've noticed here the Midian. Where do we find Midian in the past? That's where Moses was for 40 years in Midian. His father-in-law was the priest of Midian. He was there herding sheep. Moses is back to his stomping grounds, and we don't even have him mentioned here yet. We have the children of Israel. Can't. Now just think of them. You know, on the other side of a knoll, a hill, and they can't hear what's going on. They're just over there. And I find out what a blessing it is when we're in that position and we don't even realize how God protects his people because we're on the other side of the hill and we don't know what's going on. Do you know what the Lord says in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 121? Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Isn't that a blessing? We don't even know what's going on. And we find his comfort to us that he doesn't slumber or sleep. He doesn't go to sleep and then forget about us. He's always there for his people. He has them marked out. They belong to him. Nothing can happen to him without his permission, just the same as the rest of the world. He has his people. And so, behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. This, as we just think about that, they're hidden from all of these Midianites. We're hid from Balak, the Moabite king. We're hid from all the conversation that is going on over there. And all of the conversation is about them. Those people, those people, they're licking things up like oxen cleaning up the grass. They're down to the roots, if you please. Balak has an issue with Israel, and Balak sins for his pastor. Balaam. Now, it's interesting to me that Balaam is from Mesopotamia. Who else in the Bible is from Mesopotamia? Abraham. Abraham is from Ur of the Chaldees. We get over to the book of Acts chapter 7, and Stephen recounts that. He says he was from Mesopotamia. Stomping grounds of Abraham and stomping grounds of Balaam. You know, when I was gone, I mentioned in the message, that the Lord Jesus Christ was between two thieves. That's common. But do you know what? He was between a Jacob and an Esau. And here we have Abraham and Balaam. Now, some people, if you read the commentary, say, oh, Balaam was just, a, he was a prophet of God, but he was backslidden and blah, blah, blah. Don't believe a word of it. He was a liar from the very beginning, He was somebody that was interested. He demonstrates the deception of maintaining an outward facade of spirituality over the concept of his inward life. He had the facade. He was, I love Jesus. But inwardly, he was a ravening wolf and he would take money to curse the people of God. He's mentioned seven or eight times in the Bible, other than where we're going to read about him here. He's mentioned in the book of Second Peter, Jude, and, and Revelation in the New Testament. And in every account, it's not a good report. God's report about Balaam was, he was not my prophet. He pretended to be my prophet. There are many similarities between Balaam and Judas Iscariot. They were both in it for money. They were both in it for their own self-righteousness. Well, notice here in the book of Numbers chapter 22, this king of Moab, Balak, the son of Zippor, was the king of the Moabites at the time. He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Beor, Beor of Pether, which is by the river in the land of the children of his people, and call Him saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth and they abide over against me. Now we're going to find out that Balak and Balaam are both very superstitious people. Balak believes that Balaam can cast a curse on Israel. Very superstitious. I want you to curse this people. And you know what? Balaam has the reputation of being able to do these kind of things. Let's follow this down here for just a little bit. It tells us here in verse 6, Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure, I shall prevail that we may smite them, that I may drive them out of the land, for I want that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. Or that's an old English word for saying, I know that if you bless somebody, they're blessed, and if you curse somebody, they're cursed. He has quite a reputation that has traveled the distance. This This is a man that God is going to use in a mighty way, just like he's going to do with Balak, and a donkey, he's going to use to demonstrate that he is almighty. He has a purpose, and he is one that neither slumbers nor sleeps. Those people on the other side of the hill, you know what I got? I got a barrier up. I got a hedge up. I got a demonstration here that God is in charge of all this. He had a reputation that is able to put a curse on people. He's from Ur of the Chaldees or he's from Mesopotamia. We find as we travel through here that here in Numbers chapter uh, 22 and verse 6, Come now therefore and curse me this people. And verse 7, And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed uh, departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, and they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. What did they have in their hands? gold and silver the price of what divination soothsaying he's called a soothsayer in another place and he said he loves God and in verse 8 and he said unto them Lodge here this night, and I'll bring you word again that the Lord shall speak unto me, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. Did you notice that word, Lord, there? Have you recognized the capital? You know who that is? Jehovah. Balak said, as the Lord shall speak unto me. You know, there's many interesting things instances in the scripture about God dealing with the arch evil. Turn with me to the book of Job, if you would. You know, so many of us like to look at what Job had to say there in the end. But did you notice what happened in the beginning? Why did Job lose his family? Why did Job lose all of his possessions? Why did Job lose his health? Well, it's very clear in the scripture why he did that. In the book of Job chapter chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and guess what? And Satan came also among them. Now, before you get too afraid of him, he's a created being. He's not omniscient, he's not on the present, and he's not omnipotent. We're going to see in this, as we do find in other places about Satan, that he can only do what he's given permission to do. He is not in charge. There is not Jesus for you and Satan against you, and now it's up to you to decide the Final vote, who you're going to go with. If that were our choice, we'd always vote this way because we don't have the heart to vote any other way. We are desperately wicked. We're sinful to the core, and we would always vote to negative. That's what it tells us in Romans chapter 8. Our heart is, is enmity with God. So I'm thankful it's not in a voting situation. We got voted against in Adam. You know he voted for us? And he said, in Adam, all die. Well, we have to go back before the foundation of the world to find out that there was another vote that precedes all the other votes. And that is a vote from the triune nature of God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. On the behalf of his people, we cast the deciding stone for them. I like that passage over there in the book of Acts that Mike read, where it He said, I cast my word against him. That meant he threw in the white or the black ball. He voted against those people. Well, we have one before the foundation of the world that cast in the white stone. We read that over in the book of Revelation. I cast the white stone. I voted for them. So it precedes all other votes. Now, in this life, we have that vote. Until God gives us a new nature, we're always voting against him. We will not vote in, on his behalf. We'll not vote to please him. We'll always cast our vote against him. But in the new birth, he gives us a new heart, and now our heart votes for him. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. God, God, have mercy on my soul. And that man went away justified. Well, here in the book of Acts, it tells us, or excuse me, in the book of Job, and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Now, he knows where he is. My goodness. You know, so often we find these questions that God gives. He did that to Adam. We're going to find out he's going to do it to Balaam. He's not asking for information. He's asking for, he's making a statement, how much we don't know. Adam really didn't know the mess he was in until he was covered. And here, Which Kamasa? And Satan answered, Lord, did he use that same word? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Jehovah. Boy, that name can be used by anybody. Satan used the name Jehovah. You know why? because he's his master. From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it, and the Lord said unto him, Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that is, he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased, but put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. You know what God did? Gave him permission to do that. And the next thing we know, that there is a man coming says he took all of the donkeys. He took all, everything. And finally a house fell down and killed all of his sons, and I'm only one left to escape. We say, Whoa, does God do that? We're either going to believe it or we're going to cut it out with our pen knife. And in chapter two of this same book, Job chapter two, verse one, well, that didn't work. So he took everything away from him, and he said, uh, you neither cursed curse God. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from whence camest thou? And Satan answered the Lord, said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth? And verse four, and Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thy face who gave him the boils. Now I'm not interested in having any of that happen to me. But if it does, I recognize where it comes from. And Job neither cursed God. You know, we find this, a similar incident is found in the book of 1 of, uh, Kings. When God needed, well, let's just turn over there to 1 Kings chapter 22, if you would. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 8. God is in charge of all things. Nothing is left out of his control. He is Lord God Almighty. He rules over even that nemesis, Satan. He created him. He's God, Satan. And here in the book of 1 Kings chapter 22, we read these words. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 8. It says here, And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imelah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Drop down, if you would, to verse 13. The messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth, Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. we got a prophet, he doesn't speak good of Jehoshaphat, and now this servant says, I want you to do a favor, speak good to him. Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me will I speak. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Malchiah, shall we go against Ramath Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it unto the hand of the king. And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is the truth of the name of the Lord? And he said, "I I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have... Not a shepherd? And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? And he said, Hear, therefore, the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on the right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner, and there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lion's spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him, prevail also, go forth and do Can you imagine the Lord saying, all right, go be a lion spirit in the mouths of all the prophets? Well, that hasn't stopped, has it? I'll be a lion spirit. Who gave permission to do that? God Almighty. And we find what went on and happened you know, we find in the scriptures in one place in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 1 that Satan provoked David to count the people. Did you know it was against the law to count the people? Thou shall not count my people. Leave it alone. Just trust me in the matter. And Satan provoked David to count the people. And in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 1, it said the Lord moved David to count the people. Who was in charge of this whole The Lord God Almighty. Now he's going to be in charge of everything that Balaam is going to do. Go back with me to the book of Numbers and we find the most important passage of Scripture here in this three chapters. Here in the book of Numbers chapter 22, we find this most important verse of Scripture that we can hang on to and look to as we pass through this passage of Scripture in the book of Numbers chapter 22. In the book of Numbers chapter 22 it tells us here in verse verse 10 and Balaam said unto God Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them, peradventure I will be able to overcome them and drive them out. Now notice what God said. Now this is Elohim, all-powerful. Elohim said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Now that's not a suggestion. That is an imperative. Thou shall not go with them. Thou shall not curse the people. Why? For they are blessed. Now, for the next two and a half chapters, Balaam is going to attempt to curse the people of God. He is one given three opportunities to curse the people of God. And God has already said, thou shalt not go. They are a blessed people. Why in the world can't God's people be cursed? Because they are a blessed people. He has already given him his blessing. He's already given them his blessing. They stand, they walk, they sleep, they live with the blessing of God. And nothing shall curse them and nothing shall do them ill. Now, everything that falls out to the children of God falls out from the throne of grace, falls out from a heavenly Father, falls out from Him who lives and uh, gives us a. We live and move and have our being in Him. This falls out from Him. We're not cursed, we are blessed. And if God should so peradventure say that I will have them pass through the fire and they shall die, they will be in my presence. Blessed, God says, are the death of my saints. So God has said this. Balaam rose up. It tells us here, thou shall not curse them. Thou shall not curse them. They are a blessed people. And the very next morning, Balaam rose up in the morning, and it looks like he's going to do the right thing, and said unto the princes of Balak, get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. Well, we find that those people go back home and they tell the king of Moab, he's not coming. You know what he does? He sends money. Truckloads of money and tempts him. Balak sent again the princes more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me, for I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, and curse the people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak give me his house full of silver and gold... I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night that I may know what the Lord will say unto me. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto you, that shall you do. And Balaam rose up in the morning. How many men came to him to said, Come with us? Where was his heart? Oh, my goodness. He loved the riches of unrighteousness. That's what we find in the New Testament. As he goes, every step he takes, for the next two and a half chapters, he is in the almighty hands of God. And every time he is paid, given encouragement to curse the people of God, God turns it around and gives them some of the great blessings that they will live with throughout their time in the promised land. God is God, and beside him there is none else. Whatever happens, God has ordained. You know, we read about Judas. The Lord spoke to him. On that night that he betrayed him, the Lord spoke to him and says, after he'd given him the up, he says, what you do, go and do quickly. Who's in charge? Who has the upper hand? Who is the blesser and who are the blessed? God said to these people, they are blessed. You know, the church of the most blessed people in all the world may not have anything physically, but have everything spiritually. Every spiritual blessing is in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. We stand before God complete. We are a blessed people. And we find out that God mentioned that about the children of Israel. And they're on the other side of the hill and don't even know the word, but they are a blessed people. How great God is. Well, this is going to continue. God's anger, it tells us in verse 22, God's anger was kindled because he went. He said, stay here unless they come and they didn't come and he left anyway. Well, we're going to find out that God can use the simplest of things, a donkey. I read concerning that donkey that it had to be some sort of, of code that that Balaam had trained his donkey to let him kind of know what was going to say. That's not what we read in the New Testament. The New Testament clearly says he talked to him. He spoke to him. This God that is the God of the Bible, he is the God of gods. He is holy and righteous. And his salvation is a promise, not a proposal. It is, comes from God. And he has said they are a blessed people. God blessed forever. Well, as we look through here, we'll find out God is going to move, impose, bring, change, Mark, do all the things that God does. And this is a lost man that he's dealing with. And he shall perform all his pleasure. Think what he does with the church. Brother Mike, if you'll come.